Hello, ICI members, and welcome back to the ICI Digs Deep podcast. I am your host, Charlie McCullough, the new manager of strategic communications for ICI. This week, ICI president Richard Hedgecock and I sat down and discussed what is going on across the street. Now, this was a new term for me, but Richard talked me through what goes on at the Indiana General Assembly, what we are expecting this time around, and how it affects ICI members and taxpayers as a whole. So please, enjoy this insightful discussion about the Indiana General Assembly. Today is the day that the legislative session is kicking off for 2023. Charlie's relatively new to the industry, so I'm going to kind of explain to him some things, what's going on. Maybe you'll pick up some information from this as well. So this is what's called a long session in Indiana. They do a short session one year, and then the next year they do a long. Every other year goes along that schedule. So a long session, they talk about the budget, and they set that budget. And that budget is a two-year budget that will run through the next cycle. And then the second year, the short session, they only talk about policy-type issues. So this is a long session. They start this week, and they will adjourn by the end of April. So as the session goes on, we'll have a variety of things that are of interest to us from the budget standpoint. And perhaps in this space, you'll see another uh, podcast in the future from Brian Gould talking about some of the funding issues that we're talking about. But today we're going to talk about the policy issues that we've got across the street and what we want to see done during this legislative session. For sure. Yeah, you mentioned some things that you said you would like to see done or you're hopeful for. So what are some of those things that you would like to see to come out of this long form session? Thanks for asking. So there are a couple of bills that actually aren't going to be bills. They're actually going to be heard in the House Roads and Transportation Committee as amendments to bills. The leadership of the House has limited the number of bills any legislator can introduce. So they've had to get very creative on how they discuss issues because they all want to, of course, introduce as many things as possible to please their constituents. So the chairman of the committee, Jim Pressel, who is a good ally of of ours in the industry, has been working with us and with the department on a couple of changes, on a couple of things that are significant to our people. So the first one I wanna talk about is amendment that we hope will help solve the no bids below issue. Every time somebody bids on a job, there is an engineer's estimate that is associated with that job. And no one knows what that engineer's estimate is. They don't want that information to leak out so as to influence the bids that are submitted by Indiana contractors. On a letting day, let's say there are five bidders on a job. If they open those those bids and they see that none of them are below the engineer's estimate, then the department has the ability to reject those bids because there are no bids below the engineer's estimate. Now in statute, there are several ways that they can overcome that and go ahead and award the job. One of those ways currently is if the job is a million dollars or less. Another way is if there are four bidders or more. And another way is if the bid is within 15% of the engineer's estimate. So. We have seen as the years have gone by, those numbers are old. Even before the hyperinflation that we've seen the last couple of years, we saw this trend happening where more and more bids, more and more jobs were not being awarded because there weren't bids below the engineer's estimate. And that number has grown exponentially. And you can imagine it's gotten really big during the hyperinflation we're currently experiencing. 
as much as 50% of the jobs are not being awarded, which is a problem, not only for us in that they'll then put those jobs right back into the queue and, and rebid them. Every time you do that, it naturally just increases the price of the job as market conditions change. NDOT recognizes that as well. So they knew that something needed to be done on this issue. So the proposal we made to them is let's tweak a couple of those numbers that we haven't looked at in, I think, 17 years was the last time these were changed. So the average job when that statute was written at the time was a million dollars, hence the million dollar being one of the ways that you can get around the no bids below. Now the average NDOT job is $5 million. So we said, well, why don't we first raise that minimum number from one to something different? And then the second thing we mentioned was we have seen a significant consolidation in the industry and in the number of companies that are bidding these jobs. So to, to require four, why don't we look at lowering that number to three bidders uh, as a way to, to award a job? So the negotiations began. It was an interesting process, and they immediately agreed to the three, the three contractors. And then we had some back and forth on the, what the threshold should be, the dollar thresholds should be. Uh, we wanted it, of course, higher. Department, of course, wanted it lower. And so once we got to an impasse, we put it in the, in the lap of the chairman of the House Roads Committee. He chose a, a number in the middle. So our proposal, it'll be a joint proposal going in with the department, a negotiated uh, settlement, so to speak, of raising or lowering that threshold of number of bidders from four to three and raising the average or raising the, the dollar value of a job one million to three million dollars. So we believe that can mean as many as 60 plus percent of the jobs that have been rejected would be accepted under this new way of doing things. So we also want to get out of them a pledge to look at these numbers on a regular basis make sure that we're not getting out of whack. How do you think that proposal would directly affect the ICI members? Are you seeing positive benefits for them? So first of all, it's great for the taxpayer. We're still getting a good number. We're getting it out on the street faster and we're not pulling it back and then rebidding it, which guarantees an increase in cost. So it's great for the taxpayer. As far as our members, they get more jobs on the books. They get more work on the books and can and not have to spend the amount of man hours and time that goes into putting a bid together, each time you pull that back and have to redo it again, that's just a much of wasted time and, and cost that we've absorbed. So it'll be a lot better for industry. You're always gonna have some that don't make it, and that's part of the process, we understand that, uh, but we want to be reasonable about what the reality of the market is uh, and be able to respond to that. Outside of that, what are some other things, some benefits that you would see coming from these proposals in the General Assembly as a whole? So the second amendment that, that's going to be discussed by the chairman, again, not a bill, but an amendment, is uh, related to the department's desire to add a new alternative delivery system that they can, can award jobs, by which they can craft and then award jobs. And the system is called, the acronym for it is CMGC, Construction Manager as General Contractor. So this is a very common delivery method in the vertical world. 
it started to become a slightly more common delivery method in the horizontal world. Some states have introduced it over the last two or three years, and many other states having the same discussions we're having this year at their legislative sessions to add it to their books. So what does it mean? CMGC basically brings in the contractor early in the process of a design-build type job, brings the contractor in early with the designer and the department so they can start working on a design, get the contractor input early in order to, they believe, see better cost differentials going forward by having that early involvement of the contractor. We, ICI, always believes that the traditional design, bid, build plan of delivering jobs is the best way to do it. It's in the best interest of the taxpayer and it's the best interest of our members. Our members don't have big marketing departments, slick groups that go out and sell jobs. We, we are comfortable operating in a low bid atmosphere. And as long as that is coupled with a pre-qualified uh, system that we have of making sure that the contractor knows what they're doing, it's, we believe, still believe, it is by far the best way to deliver jobs. The department agrees with that too. What they want to do with this CMGC method is they want to target what they call complicated jobs. Not necessarily giant mega jobs, but more uh, weird one-off, let's say an urban bridge where there's not a lot of space to operate in, where you're gonna have some unique MOT, movement of traffic type stuff associated with it, where they really want the contractor involved early in figuring out what the issues are gonna be and how to address those. We take them at their word on this, that that's what the existing uh, administration wants to do with it. We believe that that's true. Our concern has always been the opening of the door on this and or other alternative delivery methods to future administrations that may not be so open and accepting and believe as we do that design bid build is the way to go. So what we have asked for on the CMGC is as they introduce this this year and want to get their feet wet with this contracting method, we've asked for a five-year sunset on the bill. That means that when they introduce this, if it is passed, signed into law, put onto the books, they will have five years to operate where they have this as, a, as another tool in their toolbox, as they say, as a way of crafting and delivering jobs. But then at the end of five years, that stops and they have to go back to the legislature and get that re-upped again. That gives us an opportunity to build a body of work to see if in fact it has worked the way that they say that they want it to work, that we're comfortable with the way it works. Maybe uh, we wanna tweak some things along the way. That gives us an opportunity to do that. Maybe even the department finds after five years, you know, the juice wasn't really worth the squeeze on this sort of deal. We're just gonna let it go. So it gives us an opportunity to look back, but to build up some things we can actually look at and see what works and what doesn't. Does that make sense? Yeah. No, that sounds like it's an extremely important part to the process that I really hadn't even thought about before. So with these amendments, what he wants to do is have these discussions, have them publicly, let people have input, 
and then if there is agreement from the committee and others, then to take those amendments and roll them into what's called the agency bill. So every agency, the state level, uh, has a bill that they introduce and run through the legislature to do cleanup stuff that they want to do for that legislative year. Usually it's very minor sort of uh, administrative type things. But this gives us an opportunity of things that do impact us to have a voice and to then have it rolled into, into the agency bill. Even just only being here for a couple of months, I've heard a lot about work zone safety and how that's going to be something that comes up. So could you tell me a little bit more about how work zone safety fits into all of this? So we will be introducing again this year for the fourth time uh, our work zone safety bill, which allows for the use of automated speed enforcement in work zones. I think everybody listening to this is probably familiar with it, but I'll bring you up to speed on it. No, no pun intended. Work zones can be dangerous places to work. And w even if there's a concrete barrier, if there's pylons, if there's whatever, it's always a dangerous place to work. And speed has become a larger and larger issue as the years have gone by. It's certainly been exacerbated since COVID when people, there was little traffic on the road, people did a lot of speeding and those driver behaviors have not necessarily changed in the time since we got through that crisis. The idea behind automated speed enforcement, it's currently allowed in about 12 states in work zones only. You have a vendor who has a vehicle with a camera on it and that camera is calibrated to take photographs only of the license plates of cars that are speeding at whatever the calibrated speed is. In the case of our bill, which is modeled after Pennsylvania, which is modeled after Maryland, is the speed has to be more than 12 miles an hour over the posted work zone speed limit. So if it's a 45 mile an hour work zone speed limit, a camera will only take a picture if you're going 57 miles an hour or more, all right? Um, it only takes a picture of the, the back license plate, no faces. There must be workers present in order for this to, to even occur. And the beauty of this is it keeps highway patrol, it keeps state police out of the middle of work zones trying to police that problem. They don't want to be in the work zone any more than we want them in the work zone. Their presence in the middle of a work zone is often a bigger problem than having them not there at all. But this allows us to use technology to fight technology, to be able to catch those people, take photos of their license plates. The vendor then sends those photos at the end of the day to a state police officer who reviews the photographs, makes sure they're all kosher, that they all are readable and they all fit and they're all in fact the right speed and all those sorts of things. They send that file then back to the vendor and the vendor issues the citation. According to the way we have the bill written, the first citation is a warning and then after that it's a $50 fine and then increases to $100 fine for a third violation. So we have tried this for several years. The legislature, we've had varying levels of success. Last session was our best session ever. We actually got it not just out of the House Committee and the Senate Committee, we actually got it onto the Senate floor and passed by the Senate. 
And it was only the House floor where we ran into trouble, where uh, we couldn't get a hearing on the House floor on the, on the final bill. So this year we're starting it in the House, knowing that that's where our issue is. We hope to have that heard in the second week of the session in committee. And if we are successful in committee, then we'll be working with the House to get it on the floor and have an actual floor vote. And that's where the members come in. When, we, when it gets to the point where we need help, uh, we will be sending out action alerts as we always do. I beg and I plead as I do every year, when you get those action alerts, please take the two minutes that's required to make a phone call, to send an email, to do whatever it is you need to do with your legislator to let them know how important this is, how important this is from a safety standpoint, how important this is from a workforce development standpoint. There are a lot of reasons why this is a good, good legislation and why it's growing. Uh, when we first started this, five states that were doing it, now we're up to 12 and that number is growing. So we wanna join that group of states that are, are recognizing that speed is an issue and that speed does in fact kill and uh, we need to do whatever we can to slow people down. That's really nice to hear. Even somebody who hasn't been in the industry long, I can tell that speeding through work zones is a public problem. So to hear that people are doing something to help combat those issues yeah. is, is really nice. Moving past that, is there anything else that you uh, see, foresee going on? So these are the things that we'll be doing on offense. Uh, of course, as a legislative session goes on, bills always pop up uh, that we find ourselves having to defend our turf. Uh, so we'll be spending a lot of time just following, tracking the hundreds of, of or thousands of bills as they go through the legislature in making sure that we protect our members and try to make things better for them as they uh, go out and do things in building roads and building infrastructure for the people of Indiana. That all sounds great, Richard. I appreciate you taking the time to explain that to me and to the <laughs> members. Uh, but we wish you luck, and I think the next few months are going to be super promising for ICI and the road uh, construction industry as a whole. So thank you again. We hope so, and please, when you see those action alerts, take action.